Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from Miami and the Mandarin Oriental. I was here when they first opened this hotel back in 2000. It's right on the water here in in, in Brickell. It's just a lovely, lovely location with an amazing restaurant, by the way. We'll be talking a little bit about that later on in the show. I always like to ask a local every time I go somewhere about what I want to do and what I want to see that may not be in the guidebook. Well, we're lucky because I'm now talking to a local who has done a guidebook and in fact, She's not really a local, but she's been here for how many years now? 27. From New Jersey. So we forgive her. Right. Well, you know, New Jersey, (laughs) Miami, New York, we're all the same people. And her name is Jen Koretnik. She's the author of 500 Hidden Secrets of Miami. And what's cool about this book, Jen, is you've done it in a a way that I can grasp it because it's done in a list of five things of everything, like the five coolest pools, the five coolest places to get stone crab other than Joe's, right? Exactly. Exactly. So what are the five coolest pools? Well, one of the coolest pools is actually the Venetian pool. Um, it's, It's not really a hidden secret, but it's a secret that people tend to forget about because it's actually a national landmark. Where is it? It's in Coral Gables. And if 
if you're not staying in Coral Gables, it's one of those places that your hotel concierge is not going to know about, not going to recommend. But it's actually an old coral quarry. And what they did was they turned it into a freshwater pool. It has grottos. It's very Mediterranean. It's a beautiful, beautiful spot. They do a lot of shoots there, a lot of catalog shoots, a lot of film shoots. But you can go there and swim. And it's just a beautiful day to spend an afternoon there. You can't go if you have a child under three. I mean, Then, you I, can, then I'm there. You can go. You can go. Just don't take the kid. Right. Um, right so no, no swim diapers. No give swim me, diapers. Give me one more. Um, one of the most beautiful pools is, you know, on South Beach, you have all of those old Art Deco hotels. Yes. So all of those old restored pools, the Delano, um, the National. Although, all of those can I say something about the Delano? Absolutely. Or the Water Club. Oh, Let's talk about what it is. Do. They all look like escapees from a Robert Palmer video. Yes. They're all dressed black on black and they all want to go, and you would be here because, and you'd be wanting to check in why. I, know. I it's mean, there's just an that attitude there. seeing because they're all really restored old pools, yes, even but, though. Well, if you can get through the. If you can get past the attitude, you can get to the If pool. you get past the attitude, and also you have to get past your own self-confidence because there's a lot of um, bravado that you see. People, just, they wear it like a shell. You know, it's like, I look like this and you look like that. You can't. Oh, be- I'm going to do real well there. Yeah. No, you have to You have to believe in yourself. This is what I've learned after living 27 years in Miami. You are you. They are they. And you're the real person. You know, the models so basically have the, lived the, here, the, the, you know, The Delano is, is a challenge confidence builder. Yes, exactly. It's, now, it's I'll, how give you, you I'll give you a pool that I like only because of its history, right? If you go back to the old Frank Sinatra days, the Fountain Blue. The Fountain Blue is actually, they have about nine pools now. I know, but I remember um, the original, you know, the big And you one. know what's really a nice place now if you want history is go to the surf club. They've done a beautiful job restoring that whole complex. And now, of course, if you want to have a, a wonderful meal, Thomas Keller is there. And he's now nominated for a James Beard for his surf club restaurant that he opened there. But that, Look, if Thomas Keller wakes up in the morning, he's not. Of course, because he's the greatest chef in America, and we all know that, and (laughs) everybody knows that. Um, But they really have done a beautiful job restoring that, and it's really worth seeing how much they've kept of the original structures and what they've added to it, and it's very seamless. In keeping with the whole theme of water here, I mean, here we are right on the water in, in, in Miami and Miami Beach, the whole area. The best five water views in Miami. Well, you know, I feel like the best five water views are from the causeways. So if you take, for instance, this causeway, you, well, you we're come right here in Brickell. Right here in Brickell. Right, I mean, this, this is hotel, one of my favorite water views. Every, every room you walk out on the balcony and like you've got a great view of the water. This is one of my absolute favorite water views. I love coming here for dinner and you know, of course, the Mandarin Oriental was only built in 2000. So 27 years ago when I lived here, there wasn't this water view unless you were out on a boat. Now I love to come here, you know, sit here for dinner and just look at downtown Miami, which actually has a skyline now. Didn't have a skyline 20 years ago. It's really beautiful view. Okay, that's one. Give me another. The Julia Tuttle Causeway, because it peaks and you can see all of South Beach at its peak. So not necessarily want to stop the car, but if you're really quick... <laughs> You get a really so nice... So basically you're talking about a drive-by view. A drive-by. A literal drive-by One of the view. causeways you can stop on is the Venetian because it's little islands. And you can stop on those little islands on the side of the bridges and take pictures of Biscayne Bay. And that also has beautiful views of Miami. And there are some other beautiful views. You can go down to some of the parks um, down south and you can see from the water, Grove Isle is one of those... Um, it's off of Coconut Grove right before you get to Coconut Grove, you can see downtown Miami from there. So there's so many different places you can see the water that you don't think about that's not actually a beach. 
And look, there's so many high rises, you have to pick and choose your moments. Well, you know, we also have a lot of rooftops these days that we didn't used to have. So if you want to go to the W Hotel and Well, there's a whole rooftop the, culture now. Yeah, there's a rooftop culture. Um, some of the rooftops are in Wynwood, so you're not going to get a, a, a view of the water. You know, if you go down to Brickell has really exploded. Where we're sitting is, is very close to Brickell. So Brickell now has um, what they call city center Right in the middle of city center was sort of like a section of four buildings, four malls, is Sugar. Sugar is at the top of East Hotel. It's an outdoor rooftop. I've, I've been to East. You know, you, you don't know it till you get there. It's, right. not, it's not a well-known hotel. No, and it's it's odd that it isn't because it was one of the first places to open in that whole complex. Um, and it's really pretty. Yeah, but you know what the cool thing is? From this hotel, you walk across the little bridge, right? Right. And you're in, like, great shopping. It's like yes. in-your-face great shopping. Right. Exactly. And city center itself is still, I think, a little bit unknown. Um, maybe it people is. don't really know exactly how much is there. There are two food malls. There's La Central. There's Casa Cucina, um, Casa Tua Cucina, which is an offshoot of a very, very excellent Italian restaurant that started on South Beach. And both of them are very upscale. It's not like you're going to the food court in a little mall. You're going to these places that have multi-level, multi-genre kind of, you know, stops where you can actually sit down and have an elegant meal. So these are places that you really want to visit when you're in Miami. Of course, we've gone a long point. We've come a long way from just Little Havana and, and La Carreta, right? Although right. I will tell you, I still stop there at the airport, the La Carreta at you Miami. It's great Cuban food. That is the Miami experience. And yeah. the Miami experience, the ventanita, where you you know go to the window and order yourself a Cuban coffee, a lot of that has disappeared from South Beach, but a lot of it is being restored because that is Little Havana. And Little Havana is being gentrified. And some of that's a shame because you don't want to see people being run out of their homes. Exactly. Um, but a lot of it's being kept in a way. Um, Cafe La Trova, which is Michelle Bernstein's new restaurant. Michelle trying... Bernstein, who used to be the chef right here at the Mandarin. Yes, yeah. at Azul. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's her new place in Little Havana. And they're trying to bring back that glamour of the Cuban culture that has been lost. Well, speaking of glamour lost, give me your take on Lincoln Road. Oh, Lincoln Come on. Road. You know, I lived on Lincoln Road when it was being restored and when we were afraid to walk down it because it was, you know, so deserted. And then when it was first restored and it was so pretty with Pacific Time. Remember Pacific Time? Yeah. That was a great restaurant. Yeah. Now it's kind of commercialized, and but it's still fun to walk down. You know, it's the best people watching in Miami. Definitely. You can't get away from that. You, it's like slice of life. Now, you've been here 24 years. What's the one change you are not happy with? The traffic. I don't think anybody's going to argue with that. Um, we need more I-95 is not fun. We just need more roadways. There's nowhere to expand. Yeah. And I think it's the same thing that, you know, a lot of cities are experiencing on the coast. Can LA, I tell you the, the one York. thing that, that continues to anger me about Miami? And by the way, I love Miami, right? Yeah, sure. The signage, the road signs, oh. they still <laughs> suck. You, you want to get lost? Come to Miami. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. If you if you don't know where you're going, and even listening to the the map talk to you, you're like, wait, what? This that is the one exist. place. You know what? This is the one city where the GPS actually gives up. You know? Yes, I know. I know. Even, you know, it's because they constantly change things and they can't keep up with it because those are human powered after all. So if the humans are engineering it, who's going to engineer Well, actually, it? I mean, I'm not being too, too far from the truth here, but the GPS with me goes like, turn right five blocks ago sorry <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, no i agree i agree it's you know or they or it's you know it can't keep up with the actual satellite so it's a turn right and you've already passed it exactly now having said that and being here for 24 years what's the one thing that surprisingly keeps you here i love the changing culture 
So, you know, people think that Miami is Cuban and Haitian, and we do have our mainstay cultures, and I love them because I think that that's probably something that is different than every other city in the world. But we also have a lot of South American and Central American cultures that come and make their homes here and keep the city vital and fresh. So when I got here, the, it was a very strong Brazilian population, and Brazilian steakhouses were all the rage. <laughs> um, now we have a really strong Venezuelan population, and you have to go try Venezuelan food. All right, so let's, really let's, let's go down the list. Breakfast, I'm sure you're going to take me to Little Havana. You can go to Little Havana. You know, go get your Cuban coffee. You can't start the day without Cuban coffee. Okay, we got that one. Otherwise, you're not going to, you can't keep up with everybody else. Exactly. And then so, lunch? Arepa. You have to get a Venezuelan arepa. It's, what, a, it's explain. like a pita sandwich, but it's made with corn. So it's not like those things you see at the baseball games, the, the little corn thing frying yeah. on the with corn cheese. Dog. Yeah. yeah, these are sandwiches that are made. They look like pitas, but they're made with corn. They're a little harder, um, and they come with a huge variety of fillings or a Venezuelan hot dog, which is like toppings like you've never seen before. I Think love it. Chicago hot dog with Latin American style. Great. So They're amazing. And dinner? Dinner, you know, if you like Peruvian food, you should go right downstairs. I have. It's unbelievable. that's one of the most amazing places. I keep, you... I keep talking about this place. It was such a surprise to me because I just discovered it by accident. And their tuna tataki, their ceviches, they have so many yeah. different kinds of ceviche. We had a Peruvian explosion a couple of years ago, and it has not ended. Hello? I'm repeating we're not in Kansas anymore. talk about in Miami, of course, but first and foremost, and we've been talking about it throughout the show, is the total explosion in the food scene here. And joining me now, the senior food writer for Miami.com, Sarah Liss. How are you, Sarah? Thanks for having me. You got it. Uh, I go back, you know, I've been coming to Miami since the early 70s. I remember coming here for the Republican National Convention in 1972. Exciting. In Miami Beach. And the food sucked. It was, it was bad stadium food. Yeah. And not just at the convention, in Miami. Except if you actually went to Little Havana, but you had to know where to go. Right. And you had to go when to go, right? Things have changed. Yeah. Um, you use the word explosion. I like to use the word renaissance. <laughs> um, I think that uh, Miami's gotten to be How about a, more... a renaissance explosion? Okay, there we okay, go. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's a more sophisticated city all around. Um, I think we just have more options when it comes to um, having more great food, travel options, art, and all kinds of culture. So I I think just there's been there's been lots of development things areas of the city that have been developed that were never developed before um, we have completely new neighborhoods that didn't exist five ten years ago so with that has come a more sophisticated dining scene sure such as Winwood for one um, that's a big one and that's that's over, a neighborhood that's a neighborhood over on the mainland not Miami Beach so sometimes people get confused and they think only South Beach and Miami Beach is Miami but we have a mainland um, and it's an art district so it's got a lot of um, warehouses that have funky graffiti murals and um, big art galleries and boutiques and and designers and people hanging out and so with that have come great restaurants and a lot of them 
yeah, a bit a bit of a saturation, sure, like any new neighborhood. But um, I think some of the good ones, like the market, will rise to the top and, and they'll find their audience. All right, can I be a little bit of a cynic? Help please, me out. Please do. I love cynicism. Okay, then we're, we're on the same <laughs> we're page good, here. We're good. Are we seeing the saturation point of chef-driven restaurants? I don't think so because I think there's still a lot of undiscovered talent in Miami and I think that there's still a lot of room for small, not pretentious, chef-driven restaurants that are creating very honest, not overpriced food. Okay, then let me me suggest that. Have we reached the saturation point of celebrity chef-driven restaurants? Uh, Probably, yeah. Yeah. Although I still want Marcus Samuelson to open a restaurant down here. Yeah, Marcus is great. Yeah, so... um, And and such a nice guy, too. He's fantastic and I I still hope that that's going to happen and we we get to see that. I just, I don't want Is there any good Ethiopian food um, there, in Miami? There used to be a great one in the design district, and now um, there's another one I've been hearing about called Awash, uh, Ethiopian restaurant, but um, I have not been, so I can't speak to there. Okay. But I love Ethiopian food. And you know what? You can find it. Yeah. What's the biggest, okay, we know about the Renaissance. I call it the explosion. You call it the Renaissance. But what's been the biggest surprise to you of a particular kind of food exploding here in Miami? Um, the the vegan and plant-based revolution down here has been a really pleasant surprise for me. I think that Are other, you a vegan? No, but my husband is, and I'm a food writer, so that's kind that, of That interesting, makes for interesting dining <laughs> yes. experiences. Um, put it this way, I bring a lot of friends on my media dines because my <laughs> husband can't really partake. He's and, a stay-at-home vegan? Um, yeah, but you know, a lot of times we'll be seeing um, impossible burgers on the menus here. I've seen everywhere I go now there's an impossible burger. Right. So, you know, things are catching on. But it used to be that if I brought a vegetarian with me to a restaurant in Miami, they were they were relegated to ordering side dishes and even the side dishes weren't a safe zone for them because they'd have bacon mixed in with the Brussels sprouts or they'd have lobster and the mac and cheese and whatever it was. So, um, I think that Miami understood that this revolution happening in the rest of the country in places that are like California and um, New York where where plant-based food is becoming the norm, now we've caught on with that, which is fantastic. Okay, now I'm going to sound so cynical here, but I have yet to go to a vegan restaurant where they don't whisper. Oh, no. We have really yeah, fun, clubby like, vegan you, 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 restaurants you, But you know here. what I'm saying. It's like, <laughs> yes. don't you like the, the kale? No, no, no. Yeah. That's like, another thing. They're where... sort of like escape librarians who, they don't sure. have to do that. No, I know, and it's you would get things that were covered in sprouts. I want to go to no a bold idea. vegan restaurant. Yes, well, we have one here called Planta, and it's actually um, one of the partners in the restaurant is a nightlife impresario. So the restaurant really has that fun clubby clubsterant feel. Minute. A vegan restaurant with a playlist. Yeah, it's it's actually <laughs> it's very it's very vibrant, um, and they have a very sophisticated cocktail program. Well, they'll make you a cocktail with aloe juice and all kinds of healthy things, but they'll still put tequila or gin in there if you need it. So you can't order a Kahlua and cream? Probably not, but they'll make you a really great margarita with aloe juice, which I've had, which is really nice. And you survived. Yeah, and I I had one with carrot juice and it was delicious. Now, the other thing that never gets talked about, at least I haven't done it, is the bakery scene. Yeah, so um, we have uh, one of our most famous bakers here is Zach the Baker, and he is a... Also in Wynwood. He's in Wynwood, yeah, Yeah. but he started out um, making loaves in his garage and selling them to restaurants and very high-end restaurants... um, started buying from him because his product was so great and so he did a Kickstarter campaign and opened his own bakery in Wynwood. And of course here in Brickell you got 
got the Peruvian restaurant here at the hotel, but you also have Nobu. Um, uh, here on Brickell, we have Zuma. There's right. Yeah, so I've been to Zuma. Yeah, Zuma, and we have a Nobu on on the beach. On That's Miami what I was saying. Right, exactly. But yeah. but Zuma, my problem with Zuma is I can't hear myself think. It's super loud. It's so yeah, loud. It's cacophonous, I would say. You know, that's the first thing I, I realized when I walked in there when they first opened. I thought to myself, wow, I, I really wonder if anyone is going to want to come here. And lo and behold, it's one of the most successful restaurants in Miami. It is because so. people just don't want to think. They just want to like make believe they're actually listening to you. Yeah, I think they like the cacophonous feel there. Right. I mean, uh, same thing with and Tao. And the food, probably. It's the same thing <laughs> I had the experience in New York with Tao. You know, if you want to go at lunch, you might be able to hear yourself think. Right. At dinner, don't even try. No, I, I agree with you. I'm one of those people who loves a good playlist at a, at a restaurant, but I need it to be at a manageable level so I can chat with my exactly. friends. Exactly. And now dinner. Where are we going to go for dinner? So um, I like to go over to um, the Sunset Harbor neighborhood um, over in Miami Beach, South Beach. Um, that's sort of more of the locals area in South e- Beach. Yeah, well, is there such a thing? Yes, of course. We have tons of locals that live in South Beach and um, kind of the Sunset Harbor area is, is a bit west from the actual ocean. And um, there's a lot of little kind of more um, less clubby, less flashy restaurants there that are just catering to, to people who live here who want to park easily because there's a great parking garage, I have to say. I love that parking garage. Um, you can park there. And then there's tons of um, yoga studios and workout so you're basically places. basically telling me the so best thing on the menu is the parking garage. The, par- the parking has really enhanced my life over there. Yeah, because, you, you know, it's, it's a no-brainer. You, you don't have to struggle with the parking. Um, and so there's Pub Belly. Um, which they started there and then they opened Pub Belly Sushi and they have kind of a mini empire going of their Pub Belly restaurants and Pub Belly Sushi. So that's the origin story right there. Um, there's also Lucali Pizza, which is originally from Brooklyn, but they've opened one here and their pizza. Everybody are... here is originally from Brooklyn. Well, that, you know, that used to be the case, but I think we're a little more international. <laughs> okay, fine. Be that way. But I'm the... from Massachusetts, so. Okay, I'll speak more slowly. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Sarah List, the senior food writer from Miami.com. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for it. having me. All right. And she's offering free parking. It's unbelievable. On me. Parking's on me. You got it. (laughs) Should there be a rapid change in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat, free of charge. And to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant $75.63. My mother, God rest her soul. There was the old sentence in New York that I, I kept on hearing everything, that there's no culture west of the Hudson, no culture south of the Hudson. I mean, very elitist statement, and of course, completely inaccurate, uh, because I was listening to that statement when I was, listening, when I was living in Los Angeles, where we, we had a lot of culture. Well, guess what? One of the largest performing arts centers in the United States is right here in Miami. It's been open for what, almost 14 years now, and it's called the Arts Center, the Adrian Arts Center. And from that center, Suzette Espinosa, I mean, you guys have every major performance you can imagine. It comes through. Absolutely. First of all, thank you for inviting me here today. Yeah. It's a pleasure to represent the Adrian R. Center for the Performing Arts of Miami-Dade County. It's a Say mouthful. that three times fast. I know. It is a mouthful. I know. Um, but First of absolutely, all, who is Adrian Arst? Adrian Arst is a philanthropist. She's, of course, our benefactor. And about 10 years, 11 years ago now, she donated $30 million to ensure the future of the R. Center. And here we are today, a huge success, about to welcome 5 million visitors. Amazing. 
And now you have everything from Broadway plays to flamenco festivals. Absolutely. We have everything you would imagine a performing arts center would have. We've got opera. We've got terrific classical music. We've got, um, we ha also have great theater, a Broadway series that's spectacular. It's actually at an all-time high right now. We've got Hamilton I coming knew, next year. I knew year, you were going to say Hamilton. Finally, okay. Because everybody asks. Um, Hamilton's coming in 2020, uh, in February of 2020. But in addition to that, we Already have Already sold out. It's getting there. Yeah. Tickets aren't on sale yet, so it's a subscription. We're only on subscription sale now. Okay. So you have to get a subscription to get your tickets to Hamilton. Okay, but so much for that plug. I'm sure, we're on the way. Yeah. We're on the way to, to sell out. Um, but in addition to that, there there's so much more that happens at the R Center. There's local theater. We have a great sort of uh, series called Theater Up Close. So you're actually, Black you're actually premiering plays. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. We're actually premiering plays. We do great, beautiful productions of great, you know, things like Sweeney Todd, but we also do our own original plays. In fact, two of the playwrights from our resident company, Zoetic Stage, or our resident theater, uh, organization Zoetic Stage they have two plays in New York right now wow American Son by Christopher D. Mills Brown and Daniel's Husband um, by Michael McKeever so we're producing a lot of great work exporting it but also presenting it here for the people visiting Miami so for those elitists back in my hometown of New York there is opera in Miami there is opera in Miami the Florida Grand Opera is one of the oldest opera companies in the United States they're almost 80 years old and they, they present continuously continuously yes so somebody supported them somebody has supported yeah, absolutely I mean I have to ask that question absolutely it's a good question no continuously going on 80 years old and wow. then of course we're the home for Miami City Ballet which is one of the best dance companies in in the country and it's not me saying that but for the new yorkers it's the new york times saying that um and of course new world symphony and we're also the the uh home stage for the the big concerts that the new world symphony puts together and that's in addition to bringing great orchestras like the chicago symphony and israel phil one of the things i like about what you guys do is your involvement with the with the students with, yes. with, with the community and, and making sure that they get exposed to this. That's right. That's a really important thing. I mean, the center was created for the community of Miami and of course to bring great art, but part of it is the give back and what are we doing for the community? And so we serve uh, nearly 60,000 young people every year through our arts education programs. But you did a musical, what, Homer's Odyssey, yes. a musical, that, that itself is crazy. Yeah. Odyssey to music. But what, every fifth grade kid in the county shows yes. up? The Arts Center... Um, has created this musical, Rock Odyssey. It's a rock and roll version of That's the Odyssey. That's how you got them in, yes. Exactly. You have to make it work for them, yeah. complete with Lady Gaga references and talk about texting and all this stuff. Um, and it ties back to their curriculum. And so we invite them to see this musical that we created, that the Art Center has created. And in addition to that, we prepare the teachers as well to connect the curriculum that they're teaching in the schools back to the musical. And you've been doing that for what, 10 years? Ten Over 10 years. Wow. And just recently, so that's offered by the Art Center to uh, every fifth grader in Miami-Dade County. So that's 20 25,000 kids. And what happens if you didn't finish fifth grade? Like and me. Then you no, have other problems. <laughs> Then there's other problems. Um, and then uh, we also just recently launched a program for seventh graders that's a similar idea, also a musical created by the Art Center. This one's called Kitty Hawk. So if you know Kitty Hawk, you know that's the Wright Brothers. Yeah, that's right. So uh, that musical is really about inspiring kids to dream and experiment and fail and try again, just like the Wright Brothers did. With all different literal references, they get fly. It, they it's can fly. fly, exactly. Teaching them to fly. And it's, it's really about incorporating STEM, sort of the A into STEM to make make STEAM, so the A for the arts, into STEM learning, um, to make STEAM learning. And so we've, we, studies have shown that um, 
through the arts, children learn math and science better. And so that's what we're trying to do with that program. And that's another 25,000 kids. That's all seventh graders in Miami-Dade County. And then last but not least, the Flamenco Festival. Flamenco yeah, Festival. a lot of people coming to that. Flamenco Festival is one of the most popular series that we do at the Arts Center. It's, uh, we created it right from our very existence. And um, it just wrapped up. And we welcomed 100,000 people to the so Flamenco get ready Festival for next so year. far. That's right. 2020. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. One of the nice surprises about Miami is the Museum of Contemporary Art. And most tourists don't get there. Um, they don't even know about it. Uh, you know, they're just hanging out at the beach with a pina colada stuck up their nose in, in South Beach, and you can do a whole lot better than that. And joining me now, the curator of education from the Museum of Contemporary Art, Amanda Kovach. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. So, how old is the museum? The museum itself started as COCA in 1981. And COCA stands for? The Center of Contemporary Art. Um, and then it changed into the Museum of Contemporary Art in the current location for about 23 years. Now, describe for me, because it changes all the time, your definition of contemporary art, because it, it could be performance mm -hmm. art, it could be tagging on the streets, it could mm -hmm. be, right? Yeah, well, the beautiful thing about the contemporary art is that it inhabits the now. So it can be a multitude of mediums. It can be performance, video, film, photography. It can be traditional painting and sculpture. So what's important is the time that it's being created in. And the message it's saying. And the message it's saying. So what today, in the year 2019, are the messages that are out there that you're displaying that we would not have seen maybe four or five years ago? The museum is mostly interested in displaying art that is reflective of its community. Very often museums are accused of being a, like a white box in the literal sense of white walls everywhere and, the, and the, the technical sense in that it's only white artists being displayed. So we're more interested in focusing on the you know African diaspora, focusing on um, LGBTQ artists, focusing on the art that's reflective of our community. And when you think about how many different communities you have here in Miami, mm -hmm. it's not just the Cuban community, it's the Haitian community. It's mm -hmm. not the Haitian community, it's the Jamaican community, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, it's just this amazing it's mix. a great melting pot. I'm a representative of the Mexican community. I had all of like two friends in high school, you know? So it's, um, it's a really beautiful melting pot where you can walk down the street and see the entire world reflect in the restaurants around you. Okay, that's the restaurants, but now mm -hmm. we're going to bring it into the museum. Mm -hmm. What do you have on display there that would be a surprise to me? Or that would say, I had no idea this even existed. Yeah, so right now we have um, Afrocobra, Messages to the People, and it is a one of the largest exhibitions ever of its kind created for this group called Afrocobra, which stands for African, um, the African Commune of Bad, Relevant Artists. And it is just a flood of Kool-Aid colors and incredible documentation of artists that were working within the black activism of the 1960s and continue to work today, which is what pulls them into the contemporary art world. And then, of course, 
you know, I, it's my Banksy moment, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's like over the top now. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there are so many other people now that have been legitimized mm-hmm. because of his because of his celebrity status. Mm. Well, yeah, um, mural tagging and and art as activism is nothing new. Of course, you know, you've got these works coming in from the '60s. Um, where they were more interested in speaking to the African community, the black community at the time, whereas, you know, if you're comparing him to them to Banksy, Banksy's just interested in addressing the masses. Um, but well, then now he is. Well, now he is. But, and then Whoever you, he may happen to it, be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, but here in Miami, you've had, you know, historically you had Purvis Young, who did Good Bread Alley in um, Overtown, which was very pre-Banksy, addressing the masses, trying to pull them into Overtown to say... You See, I would like to be described as pre-Banksy. That would be... Yeah, right? <laughs> I was ahead of Banksy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, it's... It, they, the work that is on show right now is, is really incredible and, and deserving of international attention. I would think that one of the most difficult jobs in the world, because it's so subjective, is being a mm-hmm. curator of contemporary art. Because mm-hmm. first you have to try to define it, and everybody has a different definition. Mm-hmm. I think that what... The, the reason that the museum kind of has, we have an exhibitions um, like project manager and we have visiting curators like Dr. Jeffrey Hayes and she pulls in this wealth of knowledge and research on um, black art. She just did a, a show of Augusta Savage, you know, who was a, a sculptor who was really overlooked, a black sculptor in American history. And so by choosing these curators that come and visit us with their knowledge, um, we really get the wealth of all the research that that they've done, and then we display that out to the community to see and and also benefit from. I would almost suspect that bringing in some outside curators, they can see your local community from a different pair of eyes than you can, exactly. and they're discovering people that you don't even know. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's like having a fresh take every time we have a different show in the museum. It breathes fresh life into the exhibition, so... What's been one of your most surprising shows that people just weren't ready for, and then they went, wow, how cool is this? I mean, I really want to say it's Afrocobra. Uh, nobody, you know, I, I've only been at the museum for about six months now, and so I did get to see um, back when they did Monarchs, which was very interesting to me. It was really what was re- Monarchs? Monarchs was representative of brown and native artwork that spanned the path of the monarchs, so it crossed borders. Riding along in my automobile my baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go My next guest, the food and drink editor at Miami New Times, another transplant from the East Coast, from New York, Lainey Doss. How are you? I'm great. I'm great, Peter. Yeah, we all end up here at some point. Uh, that's, a, that's, that's branding. You all end up in <laughs> Miami at some point. At some point. But you came 14 years ago because? Well, uh, my ex-husband was transferred here, and it was you a came choice. Along. Yeah, it was a choice between um, Detroit or Miami. Okay, time's I said, up. choose well. Yeah, <laughs> okay. and you did. Yeah, and you did. <laughs> uh, but then you got involved in the whole scene here. Yeah. So when I first moved here, the uh, Miami dining scene was completely different. It was I mean, it was boring. just it was it was really like overpriced hotel restaurants serving your usual like lobster thermidor and. No, can I say two words that buy mahi mahi. Mahi mahi yeah. or salmon yeah. in South Florida. Right. Why are you eating salmon? Right. Um, or chain restaurants. And that was kind of it. And about 10 years ago, the restaurant scene just it blew up. exploded. Why? 
Well, I think more people now are putting down their roots here. So uh, we've always been a tourist destination, but there are some restaurants that had that sensibility that people are going to come here. They're not ever going to come back, so we don't need to impress them. We just need to feed them. And we can sort of rip them off a little bit, too. Um, and now people and are living here. some of those restaurants are still around. Some of those restaurants are still around, of course. If you go to the beach, if you go to, I, I don't want it, Ocean Drive, say, no, you, you're you go, all, it's you, the home of the $50 all, mojito. Right. You can but, always do that. You can always do that. Absolutely. But there are so many other places, and I think when people live, we live off the beach. We live on the mainland, and restaurants have been opening up to cater to people who are living here, people who you want to court and woo to be regulars. Right. Now, we're living in a, in a, in a, in a well, in an environment now, at least in this country, where people just want everything delivered home. You know, they just... they. And as opposed to the Miami scene, which is where you want to be seen eating out. Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of that. A lot of the smaller restaurants do sort of um, complain that it, Netflix and chill is sort of taking away the, the sort of ambiance and environment of dining out. But for me, it's an experience. When I go to a restaurant, I mean, I, I don't want that food in a, you know, a styrofoam container. I want to go there, I want to listen to the music that they've, they're playing, I want to see the candlelight, I want to look out the window, I want to talk to people, I want the whole experience. Um, I'm a food writer, and when I go to a restaurant, I like the whole picture. It's not, it's not just, just the menu. It's not just the menu. That's obviously a key component, but it, it's really the whole thing, isn't it? I mean, when you go somewhere, you, you really... you. You're going there for a different feeling than you would at home. But for, for people who are visiting Miami, that experience never really was available to them up until recently because they never really left their resort. They didn't really get out. And the crazy thing is even these resorts, most of the restaurants are not directly on the water. So they have these beautiful resort hotels and very few places to actually dine on the water to see the beach it's sort of counterintuitive but but now like i said you know the the food scene is really growing outside places like winwood um you know the biscayne corridor the mimo district which has these gorgeous mid-century 50s sort mimo of jetsons mid-century modern thank you very much um so you have these gorgeous, almost like George Jetson meets um, Donna Reed buildings that are amazing, that have real character that you can um, dine in that have been really lovingly restored. Exactly. Um, and the thing is, at least in this hotel, 25 years ago, this hotel wasn't here, right? Right. But in this location, you would never expect to find a Peruvian restaurant. Right. Right. Um, right, because this was brickle. This was more like business people. But the, the wonderful thing about Miami is that there's um, there are sort of the key to South America. This is like the gateway to South America, Central America, the Caribbean. And we really embrace that. You know, every city embraces its, its different cultures like Chicago there's a lot of um Baltic 
food and Germanic and well, the Baltic largest and, population yeah. of Polish people outside of Warsaw is Chicago. Right. So here we've really so you're not going to get a lot of pierogies here. I know a place. <laughs> I know two places actually. Really? If you want pierogies? I'm your pierogi girl. Okay. But don't they style those pierogies? <laughs> but it's okay. not what we. It's not what we specialize in. Right, right. What we specialize in, I think, is and what's really wonderful is that we've um, taken just home school cooking of like Cuban and Peruvian and Puerto Rican now uh, cuisine, and we have these wonderful chefs that are taking the food and they're taking like their mother's recipes and their grandmother's recipes, but they're using these wonderful local ingredients, local fish, local microgreens, grown in homestead tomatoes. And so... Yeah, people forget Florida has a few farms. We have some farms. We have some farms. Um, you just sort of really need to know what's available because we're in a, a growing zone. I think it's a nine or 10, which means that crops just burn basically um <laughs> under the sun burnt lettuce yeah our yeah. son is yeah. you know our son is um relentless but but we do have we have beautiful tomatoes we have beautiful strawberries we have beautiful squash we have gorgeous microgreens we have restaurants here that are are doing everything they can they'll have you know bees on the rooftop they'll have rooftop gardens they'll do hydroponic things in like a little tiny area in the back alley you know what i always used to laugh about i mean i'll tell you why it's, it's the cynic in me all the chefs that would say oh we have a rooftop herb garden how how many herbs could you possibly grow to feed your entire audience in the hotel but it, it sounded nice right it, it sounds nice and yeah. you'd be surprised i mean i have this little itty bitty garden and it's just gone out of its out of its tree and i have probably enough basil and parsley now to to, last to supply the winter. a restaurant is <laughs> right i can like right can hibernate i can hunker down and eat parsley <laughs> but you know i look it, it's it's a start right I mean, yeah. if you're doing anything sort of a little more natural, a little more organically, if you're growing anything or you're getting something in from a farm that's closer, right, you're, you're, you're zeroing in that carbon footprint, you're, um, you're helping everything, right? You're helping bees and pollinators. Like, whatever you can do, I think, is better than not doing it. I think if a restaurant maybe has an herb garden on the roof and just maybe that can feed half of the people that come in. It's a better start than saying, we're not even going to bother doing anything. Right. So when I go to the restaurant, they can say, oh, you're too late. We, we're out. <laughs> we're out. We're out. Sorry. We're going to give you that, that plastic garnish we that we got at the craft the store. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. We just rinsed this one out and we just put it on the plate. All right. We've already talked about the explosion of the whole restaurant scene here, the diversity of it, the different, you know, the different themes, the different, you know, the different nations represented. Yeah. I mean, can you get, let's get crazy. Can you get great Afghanistan food here? One place. You know a <laughs> One guy. One place that I know. Probably I know a guy. I know yeah. a guy. Next to the, the pierogi, pierogi place. Yeah. Right. Um, for that, for, for food like that, actually, yeah. Broward County, just our little neighbor north of us, of is sort of better at that. Um, I live in Hollywood, which is sort of an amazing United Nations and Broward's about 30 minutes from here, right? Yeah, yeah, 30 minutes. 15 miles or 
or an seven hour and, and a half, half on, hours, on, on, seven on, and a uh, half hours during rush hour. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you can get Armenian, Afghanistan, uh, Korean, that that's where you want to go to get like the teeny little places um, to eat. Here, we do a lot better with the um, Latino flavors. Of course. And uh, but let's just we do it one well. Thing, let's just get one thing out of the way. There are other places to go than just Joe's Stone Crab to, to get Stone Crab. Yes. And by the way, nothing against Joe's, but I just hate standing in line. Well, you can go next door to Joe's Takeaway and get Stone Crabs. And not wait online and, and get the and, same and get the key lime, stone crabs and get the key lime pie and, get the key lime and pie. the spinach and you can get a really wonderful uh, stone crab omelet. Who knew? Okay, but where else do you go for stone crab? Um, pretty much everywhere. I mean, Whole Foods has stone crab here. I mean, when stone crab is on the menu, you can go to any steakhouse and get stone crab. You can get there's um there are places like Casablanca Fish Market on the river. Um, it's owned by the same family. I think it's now three generations. They have their own fishing boats. Stone crabs obviously is are not from their fishing boats. You're gonna right. get stone crabs from Florida City and the Keys. Um, but they're caught, they're cooked, and they're iced, and they're transported the same day or the next day. So if you go to like a little place like Casablanca or Garcia's, which are next to each other on the Little River, maybe a 10-minute drive from here, um, you'll get super fresh stone crabs. You don't have to wait on the three-hour Joe Stone it's Crab crazy. line. It's crazy. It's an experience. Okay, so it's Oh, that sort sounds of, like a brochure. <laughs> It, it is a brochure thing, but yeah. it, but it is, and you know you've got it. It's not only for tourists; it's it's for people here. I mean, there are people that have passed away that have requested in their wills to have their ashes scattered at Joe's Stone Crab. <laughs> That's not your typical restaurant. We're talking hey, like Disney World epic proportions. There are here. people who have passed away just standing in line at Joe's Stone there, Crab. Well, yes, there yeah. have, there have been yeah the entire cycle of life. All right, online. let's go back to breakfast now. Where are you taking me? Uh, we. We should go to Enriqueta's. Cuban. That's a little place. It's Cuban. Um, I'm not a huge breakfast person, but I need my coffee. I need my colada or my cafe con leche, and they make a great one there. It's uh, right sort of on the cusp of Wynwood to Midtown Miami. It's sort of a little no man's land that's building up now. Um, but you're not just going there for coffee. No. Get Cuban toes, get eggs. You get you get a whole platter of eggs and bacon and Cuban toast and a cafe con leche, and you're not even paying. $10. If you paid $10, you've probably ordered like 18 side dishes. <laughs> it's it's cheap, okay, so it's, it's solid, it's good. Um, you're going there for the characters. It's just a wonderful place. You'll see business people. You'll see maybe, you know, sort of a Univision celebrity there, construction workers. It's a slice of Miami humanity. Lunch. Lunch. Well... I would take you to St. Rock Market. We've Which got an explosion of food halls. It's in the design district. So, you know, if you want to go shopping for a little Gucci or Dior on your way to lunch, you can do that too. <laughs> um, I don't because but a I'm a journalist. But, 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 it's a, but it's a food hall. It is a food hall, but it is a special food hall. So we've had an explosion of food halls here. But St. Rock Market, Valerie Chan, one of the chefs there, has been nominated for a James Beard this year. There's a local um, Johnson and Wales University or a local culinary college. They train a lot of people. Has its own 
an annual award ceremony for celebrating excellence in food, and there are stands at St. Rock Market that are nominated for like restaurant of the year this year. This is not your typical food hall. This is a food hall where people are doing things right. You can get like beautiful oysters. You can get the most gorgeous Peruvian sushi hybrid that I've ever had. There's one place there that does a tower of hummus. So those seafood towers that you see, it's a tower of hummus, which I don't know about you, makes me happier than just about anything in the entire world. That scares me. No. Embrace it. Embrace the Tower Embrace of hummus. The hummus. Okay. Embrace the hummus. You've got pickled vegetables and a little tahini and some hummus. And, and quickly, pita. dinner. Dinner. We are going to go. Y- you got to go to Cayocho. Got to go to Little Havana. So we're going to start. We're going to get a cocktail at Ball and Chain, which um, was originally a jazz bar in the 30s where everybody, Dizzy Gillespie, everybody played. We're going to get a guava daiquiri, and then we are going to go to Cafe La Trova. Lainey, I'm hungry. Hello, and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. I've been coming to this hotel since it first opened, and of course, when it opened, it had a huge, great following of a very good chef here named Michelle Bernstein, a good friend of mine, as a matter of fact, who had an amazing flair uh, and an amazing approach. Then, of course, she became so famous here, she opened up her own restaurants all over Miami, and is actually even doing uh, a la carte airline food, too. I mean, she's doing everything. Uh, Of course, they had to replace her, and they have with an amazing restaurant called Lamar, and... uh, which is an amazing Peruvian restaurant, just as good, by the way. But joining me now, who's had a very interesting career, speaking of Peru, <laughs> quite by coincidence, he's the executive chef here at the Mandarin Oriental, Mark McDonald. How are you, sir? Very good. Thank you very much. I mean, by total coincidence, your wife is Peruvian. Yeah. But you just met her backpacking when you're out of college. Yeah. So let's get that off the table right away. <laughs> but Miami is such an interesting challenge for chefs because mm-hmm. everybody's here. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's got a very Latin flavor, of course. Uh, but for so many years, it was like just La Carreta and Cuban food and, you know, in Little Havana. But you've really branched out now. Yeah, the international flair in this city has uh, moved away from not just Latin flair. But I mean, are your guests either demanding or demanding it or are they ready for, let's say, Peruvian cuisine? I think they're ready. 100% for the for the Peruvians in the city we have a following like no other Peruvian restaurant which is which says it all for us and then your guests basically discover it by by coincidence yeah right yeah it's I amazing mean, they're not exactly waking up saying I'm staying at the at the Mandarin because of the food no they just discover it when they're here one of the beautiful things of the restaurant is the capture ratio of the hotel guests it's actually only about 20 percent so you have so much local traffic a local traffic is huge for our location which by the way for most hotel restaurants is unusual Yes. I mean, most hotel restaurants, let's face it, if you go back historically, they were afterthoughts. It was sort of like, okay, we have to have a restaurant for the guys who can't figure out where else to go in town, or they're stuck here for the night, so let's put a prime rib on the deal and a couple of mahi-mahis and go for it. And you always had potatoes. Always. (laughs) Always. Right? (laughs) This is different. Yes, very different. And and it's the city that brought that to the restaurant. The, The restaurant owes a lot to the community that has, for five years given it great, great coverage and great business. And that has to do with the Latin community and their support of Diego and his team that takes care of the cuisine. It's amazing. 
And sourcing is not a problem anymore. No, it doesn't. Sourcing isn't an issue, especially with a name like Gaston Acurio. He does his own sourcing in Peru and sends the, the products directly to us. Really? Yeah. So if you're having a ceviche, you're really having a ceviche. Yeah. You're, you're getting the, the freshest produce that we, we can find in Peru is getting shipped here. And because you have so much stuff flying into Miami, you get it. Yeah. And you can get it within 24 hours. If you Easy. want it, it's here. Yes. And our seafood as well, daily, caught from up for, Fort Lauderdale and north. So you're doing day boat stuff. Yeah. Which is great. It's amazing. What's your biggest challenge then? Our biggest challenge would be the possible import of product from Peru and maybe it being held back at customs for checks and stuff like that. That would be the challenge where, that we face most in making sure our consistency in product is there. But then you got to know a guy who knows a guy. So exactly. You can get in, in Miami, that's very easy. you gotta get, uh, you got to get a ceviche expediter yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be able to do that. Very easily done in Miami. <laughs> exactly. But there's another thing that you're taking seriously here, and that's really you know the environment. Yes. What are you doing differently at this hotel? In the hotel itself, we have a, a huge diversion program where we try and move our waste away from landfill towards more sustainable programs. So one of the programs we use is our Orca, which is a device located in our loading dock where we use all the food scraps. So all food scraps from production in our coal kitchens, our pastry shops, food waste from the restaurants itself gets collected in green bins. And then the bins are disposed into this machine, which has a microorganism, which breaks the food down into water. And then it goes into our sewage system for treatment. So we reduce our landfill by over 17% last year. Wow. We're looking this year to get to 22. And, you know, what used to be sort of like, okay, let's do it because everybody else is doing it, has become sort of a mission statement. It is very much so, especially for Mandarin Oriental as a hotel group. Culinary programs throughout the hotel group are all geared towards this. And we work, you know, very closely with our suppliers and ensuring that we, we, we don't take too much packaging our cardboard and our plastic waste is reduced. And if we do have any, we use single stream. We use cardboard disposal, and then we take care of our food disposal. We're talking with Mark McDonald, the executive chef of the Manor Oil right here in Miami. I always ask chefs this question. I've got to ask you, what's the one thing you put on your menu here you thought everybody's going to like, and it's stiffed, it tanked? And what's the one thing you said, why do I have to put this on the menu, and everybody wants it? So we had uh, our crab cake sandwich at the pool uh, oasis car uh, oasis bar cafe and and we could not sell it it had a beautiful <laughs> smoked tomato jam fried green tomato fresh uh, jumbo lump crab sounds great Co couldn't move couldn't it. move it couldn't move it for the life so it's no longer on the menu so it's no longer it got changed to a lobster blt and we can't we can't keep lobsters in the hotel long enough to to feed the guests. i love a hotel that can't keep lobsters <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mark mcdonald the executive chef right here at the mandarin oriental thanks so much man. thank you very much You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. 
This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.